and welcome to Black, White, but mostly gray, because life is not always neat and tidy. We live our lives in a million shades of gray, where the lines between right and wrong are blurred by our individual values and experiences. Not every situation is good or bad. Not everything is right or wrong. There are many gray areas in life, and that's what we want to explore. So open your minds and join us. Hey everyone, welcome to Black, White, but Mostly Gray. Today, we're going to talk about a process that's become a political football, immigration and border security. Long known and referred to as a nation of immigrants, it seems the U.S. has now become vastly anti-immigration. What happened and why? You know, Leaky, a recent poll from PBS Maris found that 57% of Americans feel the country's openness to people from all over the world remains essential to our fabric. However, that's a downward shift. Just three years ago, that was 66%. And what's more, 42% of Americans, including 72% of Republicans, say they feel that the U.S. is getting too open and it's running the risk of losing its identity. Even though we pride ourselves on being a nation of immigrants, Fewer than 1% of people who want to move permanently to the United States can do so legally. This, according to the Cato Institute. And we've made an absolute mess of the Mexican border, regardless of which party is in office. We've implemented decades of punitive border policies and made a political controversy out of what was once a run-of-the-mill administrative question. How do we process people entering the country without a visa? You know, we've lined up an all-star group of immigrants who are going to share their personal experiences and perspectives regarding the journey that many call coming to America. But before we do, let's pick the brain of our favorite Gemini. Yes, it's time for Aliki's world. You ready to uh, rock our world, Aliki? That might be a little overstated, but yes, let's do it. All righty. Well, your first post is some sage advice from Hindu scripture. You want to read it for us? Sure. It says, He who sees all beings in his own self and his own self in all beings loses all fear. This, according to the Upanishads, uh, these are the, the Upanishads are the fundamental texts of Vendetta. What, I think I'm saying that right. One of the six major philosophical schools of Hinduism. So the gist of this post to me is, is that we are driven by fear of the unknown. When we get to the point in our spiritual and self-development where we can see ourselves in others, fear disappears, and those who use fear to manipulate us lose control of us. You know, as Christians, we believe that you overcome that fear through providence, and that's living in the confidence that, you know, God has our lives in his hand and that he's in control of the universe which is a, another way to look at it as well. Great point. All right. Your next post ties in nicely to today's topic. Yes. So, you know, just to put in context, this uh, it's a picture of the Statue of Liberty. And in bold, it says, where does it say? Bring me hostile, freeloading a-holes waving their own flags. <laughs> <laughs> man, oh man, the things I see on the internet. Well, this basically represents the current sentiment among some Americans about immigrants. 
the political vitriol is really painting a very negative image of all immigrants, although immigration is the cornerstone of this country. However, the majority of Americans still believe that immigration makes us a, a much stronger nation. But the numbers of those who believe that are dropping down. Back in our days in New York, I mean, you'd, you'd, any corner you walked around, you, you, you never knew who was going to be protesting and what they were going to be protesting against. And we're going to talk a lot more about uh, that coming up. So I'll, I'll leave, it, leave it there. I do want to do a little more context to your next post, though. Uh, we're recording today's episode in the morning after the Super Bowl. And you may have noticed that more than half of the nation's millennial women last night went into an absolute tizzy for 14 minutes. Aliki, you were certainly among them because you posted not one, not two, not three, but four posts celebrating the halftime show featuring an all-time favorite of yours. Who is? Usher Raymond. Usher. Oh, man. And when he got on that stage and took off his shirt, I was like, dang. Now yeah. that's my idea of a dad bot. Forget the forget the images they've been pushing. This is my idea of a dad bot. <laughs> you know, it certainly struck a nerve because there was a lot of buzz today on social media. A lot of buzz from 30-something, 40-something women who were really reliving their youth last night. Yeah, rightfully so. I mean, I felt like I was just teleported back to my college days, you know. You know, the 2000, early 2000s, you know, we're out there hanging out, you know, and our favorite spots. But the performance was, it was magical. I mean, it was star-studded, high energy, you know, pure millennial joy. We saw Alicia Keys, Jermaine Dupree came out. I mean, if you remember JD back in the days, he put out all the bangers, you know, all major R&B stars, you know, were, were basically making music to his beats. Uh, Lil John was out there with Luda. We saw, you know, people on roller skates. There was marching bands, amazing costumes. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. Alicia looked fabulous last night. She really did. She's it, it took up. me a while to realize it was Alicia, though, because they, they, you know, they didn't come real close up on her face. Yeah, I, I just didn't recognize her right away. Well, but, you know, yeah, she's, now, she's, not, she's now a mature woman. And she also, you know, she's like... Uh, gotten thick in the right places. I thought she looked great, you know? I thought she looked great. I wasn't sure who it was at first, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that was a great selection. I saw this one woman posted something on social media. She she had a prediction that birth rates in early November are going to go through the, in her words, quote unquote, go through the damn roof. <laughs> and she says, and to be perfectly honest, I'm not ruling out the possibility that some of us got pregnant just watching. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, rolling out 14 hits in, in about as many minutes, complete with several costume changes. You know, the performance was all killer, no filter. It, I enjoyed myself. I was here dancing. I mean, I watched the Super Bowl alone because I was doing work, but yeah, it was like, it was a party. Yeah. Party of one. Yes, it was amazing. Well, you know what? No doubt one of the best uh, halftime performances in a long time. So Indeed. Hey. Hey, great stuff, Aliki. We're going to take a short break. Then we'll be back with an all-star crew to talk about America's changing views on immigration and border security, what it's like coming to America. Stay with us. Mm -hmm. 
The McGinnity Family Foundation seeks to transform the world by helping young people use their innovative spirit to address local and global challenges. Our quarterly grant cycle is open and we are accepting applications. We invite young people aged 30 and under to apply for grants to fund their game-changing, socially innovative projects that address community needs. We are specifically looking for projects that align with our sustainability framework and address mental health, racial equality, and or a community need that resulted from COVID-19. Visit the Grapevine page of butmostlygray.com for a link to our website and more information. McGinnity Family Foundation, transforming the world by giving voice to our young people. Welcome back. Well, today we're going to talk about a subject that is near and dear to my heart, coming to America. Yeah, and we're so glad you came to America, Leaky. What would we do without you? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we also have a couple other folks who took incredible personal journeys to come to America. Erica, who you know, and our special guest for today, Jeffrey Mabuto. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you, Dan. I can say with confidence that I didn't expect to be here. Uh, yeah, I don't know how any of us know how we got here, but hey, Jeffrey, Aliki and I shared a bit of our story and how we got to the U.S. Can you give us a quick elevator pitch on where you were born, how you got here, and what you've been up to? Uh, thank you, Erica. It's a long story, but I'll try and keep it very short. Um, I did an exchange program from high school. I'm originally from Kenya. In my last year, I did an exchange program to South Africa. And uh, while I was there, I worked for a company that did management training. And uh, it so happened that they did a, a program in the wilderness in the Sabi Sabi Game Reserve for a company in Wisconsin called the Noel Group. And uh, that is how I got to meet Dan and some of the other folks. Yeah, that's, that's the company that all four of us worked for at various times. It was Noel Group, and then it was Travel Guard. Uh, we went to the... Krieger National Park, Sabi Sabi, and ran into Jeffrey there. Correct. There's always different versions of uh, that encounter, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> First of uh, all, yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. I wanted to say, Jeffrey, I didn't mean to interrupt, but can you actually say your last name correctly? Because Dan always says Mabu. All right. I, I'm no, I've known him for 20 years. He's okay that I mispronounce his name. <laughs> It's Jeffrey Mburu. It's a soft M. Uh, Mburu. Yeah, and I've come to be patient with, with Dan as he tries to uh, get that pronunciation right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. <laughs> so kind of moving forward, you know, Jeffrey made a great impression on, on, the, on the crew and the president of our company, John Noel, wanted to bring him to the United States as part of the scholarship program we had, and uh, he had to pull some strings to do so, didn't he, Jeffrey? Yes, uh, lots of strings. Um, from the outset, you know, I live in South Africa. I'm a Kenyan living uh, in South Africa, uh, working for this company, and uh, the Noel Group provided me all the documentation that I needed, the 
uh, admission letter, the letter of sub financial support. They were going to underwrite all my expenses, tuition and living expenses. So pulled some, I just pulled some strings with the uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, the former governor of Wisconsin, Tommy Thompson. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but uh, it was a bit of a bump. I had to do it uh, to go to the embassy three times. So God denied twice. And it only took the third time to get my visa to be able to come and uh, uh, come to school here. Okay. So, one, one of my favorite stories is the person that you dealt with to get your visa, her attitude the first two times you went, and then tell us how it changed the third time. Yes. And uh, yeah, that always sticks with me. Sticks in my head is when she actually told me the first, the second denial that I got. And I asked what I need to do to, to, to make my attempt successful. And they said, I British and Australian universities. So obviously I went down back home, head down, very disappointed. The third time, uh, John Noel and pulled uh, this string with this, uh, Tommy Thompson, the governor of Wisconsin at the time, uh, also um, the local ambassador, U.S. ambassador to South Africa. So the third time that I went, I had uh, a lot of muscle behind me. And uh, <laughs> as soon as I walked in, it's actually the head of the visa section that actually processed my visa. Well, the lady who denied me was told to step aside and actually was looking at, at you know, looking down the whole time my visa <laughs> processed. On oh, the spot, I. got issued the same day. She didn't want to make eye contact. And I really wanted to get that eye contact so that for her to realize, you know, this is me now, you know. <laughs> uh, I came with a big gun this time. <laughs> I like that story. Yeah, but it's unfortunate you had to take that because um, a lot of people don't have the connections. And uh, you can tell once you're denied, uh, after you pour out all your resources to do the application fee and all that, and you sit around with people. It is very, it's very disappointing to the point where some people can't even leave the place. You have to sit down and have this informal self-help group of other people who've been denied just to decompress your thoughts to be able to to leave the place. And it's here. interesting you bring that point because it's unfortunate. I try to bring my mom here for my graduate school, uh, graduation or whatever. Spend all that money. And, you know, a lot of these embassies actually, you know, they just, especially when they know there's someone out in the United States or abroad who's fucking the money, it's their way of making money. They schedule these meetings, you pay, you go over there and they still deny you for absolutely ridiculous reasons. Then you have to go through this whole process again and they'll continue repeating it. So it really does help when you have some big guns behind you. And uh, sometimes you wonder why, you know, they, why would you provide the appointments if you're not letting people come in? So for instance, right now we do have some people like in Kenya, for instance, who they'll go and book the appointment and you get allocated a time, you go pay the application fee, uh -huh. but yet when you go through the appointment, they'll tell you, we are not issuing visas at the time. Mm -hmm. I think yep. I should do we'll the, take your money. The appointment. Thank you very much. Yep. Corrupt. It's corruption. Well, you know, as Aliki says, we're all immigrants in America. The three of you were born uh, outside the country and came here. Uh, those of us who are, are here, it was our ancestors that came over as immigrants. You know, and being an immigrant nation, I mean, it's something that we've always been proud of. It's uh, very beneficial. It brings us diverse skills and talents. It fills labor gaps. There's a lot of advantages uh, to being an immigrant nation, wouldn't you say? Of course. 
Immigrants contribute to the US, U.S. economy in many ways. They work at high rates and make up more than a third of the workforce in most industries. Their geographic mobility helps local economies respond to worker shortages while smoothing out bumps that could otherwise weaken the economy. Many observers finally acknowledge that the U.S. has come out of the pandemic and come out of the pandemic much stronger than many other nations. And one of the reasons is we added nearly 3 million jobs since the, the end of the pandemic. 2.9 million of those 3 million jobs mm-hmm. are foreign-born workers. So without immigration, that filling that gap in the labor force got our economy back to going, we'd probably still be uh, in the midst of a, a recession. I think a lot of people don't realize the positive impact that immigrants have had on our nation. And, you know, they're willing to do some of those, some of the jobs that, you know, are less desirable and have helped us, you know, keep going, keep moving. It's easy, I guess, to dehumanize the uh, quote unquote illegals, not give them their due respect. You know, they add a lot to what our nation is. And I don't know. I mean, there's, it's it's not one clear answer. Just, you know, there's a lot of gray in there, Dan. There certainly is, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the economic and labor uh, benefits of, of immigration. Um, Jeffrey, immigrants tend to be uh, more likely to become entrepreneurs in America, start their own businesses. Even the, the George Bush Institute has, has said that uh, the economic benefits of immigrants far outweighs, you know, the costs. What are, what are some of the other benefits that maybe we sometimes overlook that uh, our immigrant background brings to America? Just also the, the divergent points of view um, and, and the whole thing that we call the American experience, it's an evolving experience. So there isn't a static state of what we would consider the American experience. It's an evolving experience. The Germans brought the influence it affected, it, it became part of the American experience. Mexicans, every group that has formed, that has come and joined this country, uh, the Irish, the same thing. And that continues. That did not end 50 years ago. It still continues to this day from the food that we eat, the dances. And that's what makes America unique as an immigrant nation. So the food, it's all about the food. And the, the food, the food is, is, is great. And uh, some of that food even evolves when it lands here. It takes a, a variation of its own, and that makes a very rich cultural place to live in with all these divergent views and experiences. So I think uh, what it contributes is, is a culture that is, unlike any other place, mm-hmm. just full of such a diverse uh, array of experiences compared to any other place that you would find on this earth. And I think mm-hmm. that alone mm-hmm. is the American experience that we want to protect, but we cannot say we want to protect it and, and not have immigration and not have sound immigration policy. Jeffrey, I like that you you brought up that the American experience. And I remember one of, I think it was my uh, civics class in, in, in high school. And they always, they often talked about America uh, in terms of, you know, uh, being a melting pot or a salad bowl, you know. I mean, I, I think thinking, melting pot, we don't call it a salad bowl. Well, they, I mean, there are people- You call it a salad bowl? That, well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, I think everybody kind of has their, you know, little opinion about whether it's a melting pot or a salad bowl. I mean, I think it's both. And I don't know how true, true this is, but, you know, I read somewhere a long time ago that 
besides defense, uh, America's number one export and biggest earner is actually American culture. Because wherever you go in the world, you know, whether it's uh, music, the food, just the way Americans carry themselves, everybody wants to be an American that way. You know, there are people, I have relatives in the villages who are there speaking, you know, like Americans in New York City. And I'm like, what's going on here? You know, the swagger, you know, just culturally, America is just a beautiful place. I mean, when I went to Uganda recently, you know, I, I remember sitting, I was in the middle of the city just watching people. And it dawned on me, like, for the first time, how everybody there looked like me. And I wasn't used to that experience anymore because I'm so used to being here where I'm surrounded by people from all walks of life. And I think that is my favorite thing about the United States. That's my favorite thing about America. And I hope, regardless of some of the negative aspects um, of immigration, I hope we'll never lose that kind of uniqueness. Because I think that's what makes us truly a special nation. People of my generation, and I don't want to speak for everyone in my generation because I'm not not typical, I don't think. We often talk with pride about our ancestors and how they came to America. You know, my, my, my grandmother immigrated to uh, Canada from Ireland and then uh, homesteaded in, in uh, North Dakota where she met my, my grandfather who came over from Ireland during the potato famine. They met together and uh, ended up uh, raising a family in North Dakota. You know, everybody like me has a story like that. And we're very proud of it. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the fact that we're immigration nation, not everybody's buying it, into it as much anymore, Aliki. Well, I mean, let's put some context into that, too. Um, I think, you know, let's let's ask, answer the question of who, uh, you know, who are America's immigrants? I think uh, that will kind of shed some light into you know, the discomfort that we find ourselves in. According to the Immigration Policy Center, there are 44.9 million immigrants in the United United States, making up about one-sixth of all international immigrants in the world. Immigrants currently represent 13.7% of the overall U.S. population. I mean, that compares with the peak was about 15% in 1890, got close, close to that again in 1910. But, you know, it's, it's about 13.7%, which surprised me because it, it seems like there'd be, there'd be more immigrants. And actually, you know, the percentage of immigrants defined as people that were born outside the United States but now live here is far below many other countries, especially smaller countries. So well, let's say approximately 45% of the foreign-born populations, population are naturalized citizens, 28% are lawful permanent residents. And 23% are unauthorized immigrants. 25% of them are coming from Mexico. That's the most common country of origin. I don't know if they're all Mexicans, but they come up through Mexico. Mm-hmm. But, but in any case, you know, America's view towards immigrants has, has been changing. And Well, I think that has to do with uh, the changing face of what the immigrants look like. Way back before, the, what, what was it called? The... Heart Seller Act of 1965. That was the landmark legislation that changed immigration from kind of a focusing mostly on Western Europeans to, you know, giving more opportunity for people from other walks of life. So since like, for instance, since 2013, uh, new arrivals from India and China have outpaced those from Mexico, 
including the large number of Indian and Chinese migrants who are international students and things like that. So uh, the average white American thinks of immigration now, they're thinking, oh boy, a lot of the people that are coming in here, they don't look like us. Those thoughts, like what we talked about in the last episode about yep. the great- The great replacement. Yeah. Yes. That's, that, that's what triggers these people. And I think that's where it's coming from because- most people think it's just, you know, uh, Mexicans crossing through. There are a lot of people that are coming through that border that are not Mexicans. Uh, so I think it's just a discomfort of uh, people coming here who don't look white, kind of uh, creating a lot of that vitriol, hatred for immigrants. Jeffrey, you're living in Texas right now and, and really kind of right at the point where the rubber meets the road with a lot of the border crossing, border security, immigration issues. Some feel that, you know, the situation that we're in right now really comes from self-inflicted uh, wounds and wounds that government and our politicians put us into this situation. What What's the mood in Texas about immigration these days? And, you know, what do you think about uh, views towards the people coming in this, into this country? Um, I think that common narrative that I feel like we, we dehumanize, dehumanize the people that are coming across the, to this country, illegal and, and unauthorized or illegal. And we, I say we, especially here in Texas, I hear them just called illegals. Uh, sometimes we don't separate the act from the human, you know, the, the act of um, crossing a border crossing without the authorization. That's, that's an illegal act, but that does not make that person less human than any one of us. So the more we conflate the two, these are political, uh, it becomes a, a negative association and it's a political issue that it gets tossed around. Uh, but I think here in Texas, for instance, there are a lot of farms and ranches and things like that. And you see all the labor that is being done, a lot of hard labor uh, in the hot sun is being done by people who have immigrated and they may be legal or illegal, but we cannot have it both ways where we you know, we start sounding, we want to be very strict on the border policy and, and strict and dehumanize these people on one hand, yet our very own existence from the food that we eat or the people building our houses, the people cutting our grass are people who, or even, you know, cleaning our homes are people who could be legal or illegal. And sometimes we close one eye and just turn a blind eye where we don't want to confront the situation. I think having some kind of guesswork or program, I know he had been there in the past, had, had allowed people to be able to move back and forth and come and work here and, and, and go back. Uh, but now with militarization of the border and uh, ending that kind of program, so people just look at it as a one-way shot. You know, if I'm going to cross, I'm just going to cross and maybe I'll bring my family along because I may not have the luxury of coming my way back if I'm successful. So I think those, what you're talking about, there's a self-inflicted wound or approach that we have instead of maybe creating some kind of flexible program that allows people to, and maybe you don't end up with families. You just end up with workers coming here seasonally, come and work, and then go back to their families, knowing that they have another pass to be able to come back. But without that, we emphasize for political points, being very strict on border control, militarize the border, put people across the border the more we will drive illegal activity with coyotes, um, so-called coyotes trying to traffic people across the border. So uh, our policies have to be both humane and still ensure the laws are followed. 
but we also have to look at the human side and then the downstream effects of what we're doing. Because when you do that, you trigger more illegal immigration, whether you like it or not. The flip side of that is there are a lot of people who fly into this country after having gone to U.S. embassy, gotten a visa legally, flown into an airport and come in here. But staying compliant, there's another enormous burden of folks who are here illegally to stay compliant. Should We sh should make that process more streamlined and better to ensure that we have more legal legal immigration versus illegal. It's certainly going to be a, a political football this year. And Erica, opponents are saying, you know, that border control and restrictions really are necessary to safeguard our national security. Dan, I think a lot of a lot of the reasons are, you know, based on our fear of the different. Basically, they're saying they want to reduce potential threats such as terrorism, crime. They don't want to let criminals in when in reality, immigrants are far less likely to commit a crime than native born, typically just want a better life and want to work hard, have, have a chance to make their life better. Tightening down on the borders, not working with people, it's working against people. And it's um, heartbreaking to see that good people aren't given a chance to take sort of the right steps. Because like Jeffrey said, you know, even with with resources, it took him three times to come through um, until he got the big guns involved. And the average person doesn't have that at their disposal. Aliki, if I'm ar arguing for stricter border controls, I might mention the fact that we're letting in a bunch of criminals from other countries that, you know, we are uh, helping grease the skids for uh, human trafficking, that unless we really tighten up the border, we're leaving ourselves open to a cesspool of individuals who we don't want in this country. There's some elements of that. I mean, we're human beings. I would think that's a small percentage, right? I think most people that are coming to this country, like uh, Erica just mentioned, uh, people who are just looking to better their lives. We do, as a nation, uh, need to have uh, better implementation. I think we got good laws in the books. We just need to have better implementation of these laws. One thing that people always, and I hear this all the time because I work with a lot of, you know, I live in one of the, uh, what, Rust State, what are they called? Rust, Rust Belt States. Rust Belt States. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people here who hate immigrants. And I've worked in warehouses. I've worked, currently working in the um, uh, hospitality industry. I work with a lot of immigrants. And they like to cite things like uh, American taxpayers living off of welfare and things like that, which I think is absolutely nonsense. The largest number of, you know, people who actually depend on welfare, uh, American whites, which makes sense because they're the biggest population. So they're just a lot of like uh, ridiculous rumors and uh, fictional uh, statistics that they throw out to just rile people up. So but Aliki, did you know that undocumented immigrants alone paid an estimated $11.7 billion in state and local taxes? What? Yet these same people, yeah, a billion, but th these same people aren't eligible to receive Social Security benefits. They're paying the same taxes as as everybody else here, uh, but not reaping the benefits. The benefit is they have a safe place to live where they don't have to fear for their life. Exactly. Which is good that, you know, they are paying the fair share because mm -hmm. God is taxes, especially mm -hmm. for those of us working class people. They, it really just 
you know, it drains us. I don't have the statistics, but the other side would argue that, you know, immigration also puts a strain on public resources and welfare programs. And some contend that by restricting access to, you know, these services, you know, you reduce the uh, burden on the rest of us taxpayers. So instead of spending all this money on people who aren't here legally, we're we're spending it on law-abiding citizens like me and people like me. Love. See, <laughs> I have been in this country for most of my life now. I've never been on welfare. And I think if I'm correct, when my father decided to bring us over here in the mid-90s, I think one of the requirements that was that we would never be on welfare or, you know, like use up taxpayer resources or whatever. Uh, so... <laughs> When people start talking about immigrants and, you know, using up, you know, state resources or the country's resources or whatever, I, it's it's a bunch of nonsense. But I'm also a big believer in following the law. I mean, I've lived in refugee. I've <laughs> always thought of you as a law-abiding citizen, Leaky, way back to when I first met you. Help! <laughs> I am a law-abiding citizen. Oh, all right, okay. But like any American, if you bring it to me, be ready to take uh, it. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Them's fighting words, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but I, I'm a big believer in following the rules. I mean, there, yes, there are people who are desperate and, you know, they need to come through the borders and we got to help them. But life is so much easier when you actually follow the rules. Because a lot of people who sneak in, they end up living, I mean, we're all coming here to make better lives for ourselves and for our children and so forth. But if you're coming illegally, the kind of things you go through, it is ridiculous. I mean, you, you're you going to end up wanting to go back to the hellhole you came out of. Because imagine if, the, you know, you, for, in, for example, end up um, working under the table. A lot of these uh, illegal immigrants, which I think we have about 11 million in the country, they are paid way less than, you know, someone who comes here legally and has their papers and is working uh, for a company that has to follow the rules. A lot of them are tortured. You know, some of them are not paid. You know, their deaths, you know, in some of these farms, you know, they're not accounted for. They're just a lot. Like when you look at the implications of coming here illegally, it's not worth it. It really isn't. And another point, you know, that I wanted to make is that, um, my sister, my older sister, she works in the hospitality industry as well. Uh, most recently, she was managing like three different hotels in New York City. Now, some of those hotels, because, you know, states like Texas, are, you know, bussing some of these immigrants to big cities like New York. What are you doing, Jeffrey, bussing all your immigrants yeah. up, to, up north? Yeah. So she, <laughs> found, she, she literally found herself running uh, an immigration camp. Because those three hotels were turning wow. into, you know, basic kind of like refugee camps. I, I read there was a busload that ended up in Denver and it was like bitter cold. And they get out and it's like, I mean, these these people are coming from South America and Mexico and mm, they gosh. get put on a bus and dropped off in Imagine if they got dropped off in Stevens Point, Erica. They would know Jeffrey. A funny story, real quick about Jeffrey is when he first um, came here, he said, "Don't worry, I brought my winter coat." We laughed at him because it was a windbreaker. He was never <laughs> going to make it through winter. That's that's so true. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a shocker when you come in a country like this. You don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. uh, 
just the environmental conditions alone to contend with, that's different. And then to add on to that, if you find hostile people or hostile environment, that makes it even way difficult to. Yeah. Uh, but the flip side of that, you know, there are people who are very open and, and, and willing to take you in and, and show you the ropes and how to adapt to this country. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Aliki, you mentioned your sister. I have to put a plug in for my sister. She works for Asylum mm-hmm. um, for the government and does a lot of great work. And I asked her, you know, do you have any thoughts? Mm-hmm. And she said that really everyone deserves the opportunity to live in a work in a place that makes their lives better. Yeah. She doesn't think people should be using the asylum system to achieve that because it creates longer delays. People who are truly in danger suffer because it delays their opportunity to petition for family that are still overseas. So this system that we created isn't working. You know, as soon as something's not working, people find alternate routes. They start going around. Um, She says we need to overhaul the immigration system completely to make it easier for people who want to live and work in the U.S., of course, without criminal records. And Mm -hmm. so that they can come here and do that. But the, the system's broken. So yeah. no one, no wonder we have issues. I'm a, I'm a, a proponent of following the rules as well, but you have to sometimes look at the rules and say that's this garbage, just not working. Well, I mean, the sheer number, the volume of people who are coming through, you know, it's I I don't think the system can handle it. You know, I remember during during COVID, didn't they shut the you know natural and immigrations or whatever department for a while, and there was like a huge bottleneck. You know, for you know, processing things like you know, green cards, even passports. Yeah. So yeah, we just uh, I think we're busting at the seams, and I I, I agree with your sister's uh, you know, uh, opinion about about overhauling the system. I can sit here and say that because I mean, I think I had it uh, much easier coming in, you know, coming into this country because I already had like an American family, you know, who helped my dad through the process. Not a lot of people have that. So my story as an immigrant coming to America is completely different for most people. And, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate, like Jeffrey was saying earlier, to find people, uh, Americans who have literally held my hand and, 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 and helped me understand how to maneuver my way around this system. You know, I thank God every day that I wasn't born on the other side of the DMZ. I would have... I'd still be there. Yeah. I mean, so it's really a lottery of, you know, what, where you end up being born and it's, it's not fair. You know, I, uh, Mm -hmm. I I lived in a community, which I won't name, and they had this organization and it was, and it was out in the middle of nowhere. And it was a bunch of wealthy white guys that got together once a week or whatever. They made a big meal for themselves. And it was like, you know, I was a little curious about it. I was like, well, cause I knew some of the folks that were in and I was like, well, how, how do you get into a group like that? And my good buddy, Tommy Z, uh, said, well, that's the lucky sperm club. And, and basically, <laughs> it, it was, you know, it, it was people that were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of Americans that I think most Americans are members of the lucky sperm club. We 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 grew up, we've, we've been given so much and rather than look at look at it from a perspective of uh, moral and ethical, you know what what's it matter where someone's born? I mean, they're a person, and they they didn't have a choice. 
And and to your point, Erica, thank God you were on the right si- right side of the DMZ zone, and then thank God you found someone that uh, I wanted to bring you to America. Hey, listen, we're gonna um, come right back in a minute and wrap this up. Uh, in the meantime, I want to listen to uh, a message from our good friend David Murray because he's going to tell you how to get some very cool black, white, but mostly gray swag. Hang with us. Hi, my name is David Murray, and I am creator and owner of Think Free Threads and Things, a Black-owned online apparel company. Our apparel is fun, simple, and think-free, with messages that encourage us to think freely, independently, creatively, intelligently, and wisely. We are excited to be the exclusive provider of black, white, but mostly gray apparel. You can check it out along with everything else we offer on our website, thinkfreethreadsandthings.com. That's thinkfreethreadsandthings.com. You can also find more info and a link to our website on the Grapevine page of butmostlygray.com. If we think free, we will move closer to achieving a more fair and equitable society for all people. Oh, well, let's do it again then. Oh boy, oh boy. Okay. Welcome back to The Gray. Hey guys, there's no doubt that the state of immigration in America is complex and contentious. The narrative today surrounding immigration raises important questions about inclusivity, diversity, and the values that define our nation. Yes, are we still a nation of immigrants, bound together by our neighbors and ancestors who came to America in search of a common dream, the American dream? Or are we witnessing a shift towards protectionism? where we restrict the flow of goods and people across our borders to protect jobs and what some perceived as an endangered way of life. In our next episode, Jeffrey will join us again, and we will continue our discussion about immigration and coming to America, looking at it from the immigrant point of view. But that's going to wrap it up for today. Erica, you want to bring in home for us? Okay. Remember to visit our website at butmostlygray.com for more stuff to feed your brain. Please like and share our stuff on Facebook and Instagram as well. Thanks so much for listening. Please keep an open mind, a kind heart, and join us next time for Black, White, But Mostly Gray. Namaste, my friends. Namaste.